Well, you will recall that, by the way, Matthew is a great book, Gospel Matthew, and that's what we're going to be in today. Uh, probably the rest of our lives, actually. I kind of like it here. Uh, hopefully not, but um, Matthew's a great book, and our seer sermon series didn't quite line up with the Easter celebration, the Palm Sunday celebration, so I jumped ahead last time. We talked about the parable of the fig tree and then Jesus's authority being challenged. So today I'm actually going back to uh, the first verse of chapter 21 in Matthew, where we will talk about the triumphal entry. And it's kind of fun. It was a, it's been a fun service already to watch people come with their palms. And, you know, it, it's an effort to relive um, the exaltation of Christ as king. Just to get a, a taste of what it was like. And why do we do this year after year? As a matter of fact, this is like probably the 16th time that I have preached out of this particular passage. It's something that we do every year. Same thing with Easter. We talk about the same thing every year, the resurrection. Why do we do this? Because it is so, some things are just so important in the, in the chronological, uh, the history of redemption, there just are events that happen. They have to be remembered. And if we don't reenact them or revisit them frequently enough, we will forget very, very important things that God would not want us to forget. Palm Sunday is one of them. The fact that Christ presents himself as king is very important to us. And it's still important. It's still an important message to the world today. So we're going to look at chapter 21 in um, in Matthew this morning. Now, all of this time, Jesus has been ministering for many years now, approximately three scholars think, two and a half, three years. And uh, he has been doing miraculous things. He's been speaking profoundly, but he's also been purposing to keep things as low key as possible. So yeah, it's kind of hard to keep some things low key, like when you calm a storm or when you just healed somebody that was blind from birth. But there were even times when he would tell individuals whose lives had just been changed. Don't tell anybody about this. Let's just keep this secret between you and I. There's times where he just like disappeared out of cloud, crowds, you know, where did he, where'd he go when they were wanting to lift him up on their shoulders? You know, give him the wave or something over people's hands. So in his calculated plan, he did not want his popularity to get ahead of him because he knew what would happen when he really stepped into the limelight. But today in this passage, the triumphal entry is about Jesus literally stepping into the limelight. There's no more holding back in his plan and his mission and in who he is as king. That he just puts himself right out there. And in a sense, it's the beginning of the end. Because after this passage, things, uh, they decrease very rapidly and his popularity decreases very rapidly. But not today. Today he's on the top of the world, if you will. So we want to... Read the first 17 verses. 
And I've preached to this passage before. I've talked about how the people recognize him as king. We've talked about how Matthew recognizes Christ as king. But what I want to focus in on this morning specifically is how the king declares himself as king. You're going to see four specific instances where the king literally in his acts and his words is declaring definitively, I am the promised king. So let's read our passage. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. Now, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughters of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise and leaving them. He went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. We're going to unfold those verses this morning. But I think during this season, as we think about Jesus's uh, triumphal entry, his his announcement, his declaration, his exhibition as king. it's It's a perfect time of year to remember that Jesus actually will hail himself as king two occasions. One occasion has already taken place. So we look back at this historically. We're going to look at how Jesus presented himself as king historically. But it's also good to remember that he will come again and declare himself as king. And there's a stark difference that will help us if we highlight it will help us understand our passage a little better this morning. When Jesus presents himself as king in this triumphal entry, he is the humble king. He is the servant. Can can you get any more humble? As presenting yourself as a king, but you're riding on a borrowed donkey. 
And it's, it's just, there's, there's no pre-preparation where it's Pinterest perfect entry. But people are just breaking palm, you know, branches off the trees and they're just taking what they have and laying it before him. This is a humble king. And the Jesus that we know now, he's a gentle servant. He wants to help people. He wants to actually hear your concerns, share your burdens, wants to know what's going on in your life. And he wants to help people. And so he heals disease and sickness and he forgives sins. He's caring. He's compassionate. People aren't threatened, really threatened by him. You know, yeah, the, the, the leaders are a little jockeying for power kind of threat. But it's not because he's asserting his authority in ways that kings really assert their authority. He's very, very accommodating. He's an accommodating king. And rather than being threatened by this new presence, this new power, he's calling people to himself and they're coming. He's gentle enough. He's humble enough. He's sincere enough. And they are coming to him and sharing their hearts and sharing their lives. And he is instilling in them tremendous hope. And they love him. So he's calling the people to himself as you might say that the gentle king, the humble king, the servant king, really the savior king, because his mission now to present himself to the world is I am humble, but I'm the savior. I'm the savior king. I'm, I'm the king that has come from heaven to save you from your sins, to save you from your, the plight that you have created for yourself, the, the prison that you have created for yourself by your inability to set yourself free from bondage to sin and death and destructiveness. He has every right to make that claim and to reign and rule over us, but he presents himself. Calls people to worship him. Challenges us to lay aside our false idols and the things that we've been trusting in and come to him to deny ourselves. So, He's a savior king. He has good news. He has great news. And for those that will take that narrow path, they'll find him. And they will cash in on his promises. But this gentle king and this way to present himself, really this message, it's, it's an olive branch, if you will. It's an olive branch from the God whom we have offended, the God that created us. It's a peace offering to say, now is a time where I have come. And you can get right with me through my son, Jesus Christ. Peace be unto you. So we are literally in this season. We're still in this season, by the way. The invitation of the king is still there. We're in this wonderful, beautiful, good news timing or, or, or season or time of this offering by God to make peace, to offer us forgiveness. As we think about this and unpack this, we want to be mindful of the fact that that offering will not always be as it is today. Because this same king, same person, same king will come again. But it won't be as gentle. 
And it won't be in rags. It's not going to be seated on a borrowed donkey. And it's not going to be with an offer of come to me and let's make peace. Because that will have passed. And the new season of redemption will take place. And the next time Jesus comes, this king that we celebrate and exalt today, he will come with fire in his eyes. That warmth that says, come to me, I'm open. Fire in his eyes, he comes with a sword instead of an olive branch. And he doesn't come with the mission to save. He comes with his mission now to execute judgment on those who rejected his offer of salvation. John describes this scene to us in Revelation, and this is to come. Then I saw heaven open in Revelation 19, and behold, a white horse, not a donkey, or a colt following behind. A white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he called is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe, on his thigh, he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. We just exalted this king of kings and Lord of lords, but it's under a different light. It's under different terms. The invitation and this peace and this warm welcome will not last forever. And so we want to be mindful of the fact that this king will come again. You know, the first time he came, he allowed his enemies to spill his blood. The second time he spills his enemy's blood. The first time he displayed his tremendous kingly power by holding back. Do you realize, I don't know how Jesus contained his wrath. Now, a little bit it slips out, we'll see, in the cleansing of the temple. He's not so humble that he just lets sins go. It's not so gentle that he doesn't do something about evil. He does in the cleansing of the table. But a lot of his ministry, as powerful as it was, and we stand amazed, it was really throttled back. It's what he did a lot of times when he's on that cross and when he's when he's being tortured. And he could have performed so many more miracles and displayed his glory in different ways. He is holding all that back. The reins are pulled as tight as you could get. But when he comes back the second time, it's loose. There's no holding back any fury, any wrath. All of us get exactly what we deserve. And we're either covered in this spilled blood based on the terms that he presents to us today. Or we're not. And the wrath will come in full force. It's the same king. The same king. We want to worship him. Piper says, you know, in this season, there's actually still time to to switch sides. That's how he puts it. 
Still time to switch sides. It's not over yet. But remember, today is the day of salvation. Let us not put it off. Join his army and come over to his side. So it's just a challenge, you know, just a challenge. Good to put a challenge out there every once in a while, because sometimes there's those among us who haven't pulled the trigger yet, who haven't bowed the knee yet. We've been thinking about it. We know it's the right thing to do. And I remember before I got saved at first, I didn't care. I didn't know I was in ignorance. And then then God enlightened me to his truth and the good news of the gospel. And I was like, man, I, I can't argue with that. I came to the point where I knew it was true, but I didn't surrender to it. And then by God's grace, the day came when I surrendered to it. But it took a while and I said no many times. And so it's just it's that warm invitation from the King Jesus while it's still there. If you have not accepted Christ, if he is not your king, today's the day. There's no reason to put it off any longer because that offer will not last forever. We want to think about that. Now, so Jesus, he's the king. Others declare him as king. They're singing him as king. He declares himself as king on four different occasions. And he uses God's word to do it. Revelation described him as his name is the word of God. And the word of God is, is intertwined in his kingship. It's inextricable. You can't get rid of the one without getting rid of the other. So let's look at the first occasion of how Jesus declares himself as king. And the first one is simply by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. That literally was his way of saying, I'm your king. He tells two of his disciples to go into a nearby town. It's all planned out. There's going to be, you're going to see a, a donkey and its foal there. And I need it. I, the Lord has need. And if, if the owner says, what in the world are you doing with my livestock? Then the Lord has need and he'll give them to you. And, he, and that's what happened. And so they come with the donkeys. And Jesus uses these beasts of burden, these nothing animals. Before the foundation of the world, everything was planned to unfold exactly like it is in this story that we're reading. And God has use of an owner. And his livestock for very, very important purpose. Why? Because according to the Old Testament in Zechariah chapter 9, something special is going to happen in God's plan. So God's people need to be looking for it. And he says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus, by, by acting this out, by fetching the donkey, by seating himself on this donkey, he is literally acting out what was promised in, in fulfillment of God's word. And he's in essence saying to all the people, here I am, just as it was written, just as you were waiting. And as the father promised, I enter into your city as your king. You are the daughters of Zion. And here I come. I think what's so 
powerful. So you think, well, how does this apply to us? Well, when Jesus made that triumphal entry, it wasn't just for the Jews. It was for all the nations. It was for all that would bow the knee and say, yes, you are my king. And I embrace your laws. Because in verse 10, in the same chapter in Zechariah, he says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the of the earth. When Jesus rode in on that donkey, it was not just for those people. It literally was for us. Because we are the not my people that became his people. We are the people of the kingdom today. So that's another reason we celebrate Palm Sunday. It's because when he rode in and fulfilled that prophecy, he did it for us to be our king. That donkey ride was a declaration of his kingship. Another declaration, blatant declaration of his kingship was when Jesus cleansed the temple. So this was actually the next day. If you wanted to get detailed, Matthew doesn't care about chronology. He just tells you the events in the best light to make his point. But he goes into this temple in the city. And it's, it's, it's a place of where people come to meet with God, to pray to God, to talk to God, to pour their hearts out, to bring their sacrifice. It's a place of worship where you leave the world behind. And on the way to the temple, he finds business, money changers. And not just like this really great, honest God-glorifying business, as if that wasn't bad enough, but a crooked business where greedy people are profiting off of those that really just want to come and worship God. And if i got to pay you five times what it's worth for that pigeon, I'll do it because I love God. And this upsets the king. And his house is not a house for money changers and greedy people. And he sees where people are being prohibited or you got to walk through the, the mud of evil just to get to the holiness of God. And, and he's gentle and he's humble, but humble or humility doesn't just overlook evil. Does something about it That's part of being humble and part of being righteous. And he's the righteous one that came. And so it's a greedy person's worst nightmare. Man, there goes all their money flying into the air, into the dirt. And I'm sure they didn't leave a single coin behind when they dug for it. He is incensed at this. He has such a passion for his father's glory. He will not stand for it. So what's his explanation? Nobody does this. This is a system. It's a well-established system. It's just what it is. Nobody upturns this, the tables. So what's his explanation? Old Testament, Isaiah 56, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. That's what Jesus, that's Jesus's commentary on this. And what's interesting is in that chapter in Isaiah 56, before those words. Isaiah is talking about the king that God's going to send. To his people. So it's in the context of when this happens, it's when the king arrives here. 
the foreigners who join Isaiah 56, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. You know what just happened? There we are again. Right there in Scripture. We are the other nations. And when Jesus, when his righteousness fumed, a holy righteousness... To make the way for heartfelt worshipers to come to God when he cleaned the way. It was for us, says Isaiah. He wants us to have access to God and not have to go through wicked, evil, greedy means to get there. So even in the triumphal entry, it's a historical thing. It's a, it's a Jewish thing. And yet we are all in it. It's really... The humble kings cry to say, I want you to come to God. I want you to have access. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to speak to you and I want to listen to you. All that is wrapped up in this act of cleansing the temple. See, God's passionate about his people. He's passionate about relating to us. This very day. And he wants to listen those to those that will hail him as king, to those that want to worship him. He wants to be loved and worshipped by you. A third way that Jesus declares himself as king is in the healing. Verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed him. And by now, we've been in Matthew a long time. And you think, wow, Jesus has healed so many people. You know, it's, it's easy just to miss the deeper significance of this. The deeper significance is a lot of Jesus's miracles were done up north because it's too dangerous to minister in Jerusalem. So he's up kind of in the northern country of Capernaum and around the, the, the lake of Sea of Galilee. And he's doing all these miracles. And a lot of it is low key as possible. But right now, he is in the most densely populated place among God's people. In the very city of Jerusalem. Where whoever's, where the Jews of the Jews come. Where things happen spiritually. And there's no hiding it. Right out there for everybody to see. He is performing miracles of healing. And this sends a big message to his kingship. To those that would be in tune. You'll recall earlier. That John the Baptist. Jesus' cousin. He went through a time. Of struggling in the faith. And he was. Jesus' forerunner. And he paid the way. And he was seemed to be a very powerful figure. He didn't back down from anybody. And it caused him. To be placed in jail. But you know how our spiritual journey is. And sometimes when things don't go like we think they should go, or even like Scripture kind of indicates they will go, sometimes we lose our way, we get confused, we doubt ourselves. And John's in prison, and he's kind of doubting himself. 
Because when he reads God's word and he he says the king's coming and what's supposed to happen when the king comes is that he defeats our enemies. He puts them in jail and I'm in jail and I'm a good guy. Maybe the one to whom I said, behold, the lamb of God. I'm wondering about this. You know, dark times will do that to us. They'll take the things that are just so obvious to us on a bright, sunny day. And then we don't know and we get confused. The important part is this. So John is he's kind of desperate, right? And this is a big deal for somebody who just is about to lose his life for the king. So he sends his disciples to say, are you the one? And how nice would it have been for Jesus to just say, go tell John this? He will immediately feel at peace. That's not what he does. What does Jesus do? He doesn't say, tell John no. He doesn't say, tell John yes. He says, tell John this. Tell him what you see. The lame walk and the blind see. What's that? That's supposed to be sufficient to minister to his cousin, his follower, to, to bring peace and confirmation to his soul. Because what that is, it's an Old Testament scripture. And if John had been studying the Bible, he will immediately recognize what that means. And that's an Old Testament sign. That when the, God sends the king into the world to his people, this is exactly what he will do. It's his signature card. It's his identification. He will heal the blind and the lame. Isaiah 35. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And again, he was talking about when I send my righteousness. It's all about sending the king. Now, here's how we can apply that. How many times do we want just God a simple yes or no? Because I'm in a dark place. I'm confused. I don't even know about your word anymore. Maybe I don't even know about if you exist anymore. I I might even be doubting my salvation. Things that used to be so clear to me. Dark times. And God sends what to soothe our souls? His promise. Not just a simple yes or no, but literally the word of God. See how God uses the word of God? See how powerful it is? Now, hypothetically, if John was biblically illiterate like many people today, what would that have done to him? Nothing. He'd be like, why? He said, what? Man, here I am about dying in my doubt. And he said something about the lame and the blind. What am I supposed to do with that? I don't know what he did with it, but he was not biblically illiterate. Well, he lost his head over it. That's how excited he got about this promise to him. How many times? Okay, that was bad. All right, I admit it. Messed the whole thing up here. Now I got to start all over. Third point. No, so how many times that... Does God just give us this gift of an affirming word? He's using this is 
what we need. And it's the only thing that will nurture and comfort our soul. It's a definitive rock solid promise from God written in here and preserved. And because we don't know it or we don't know where it is, we don't even recognize it. And we miss that which was meant to be so comforting and to lift us up. Isn't that interesting how we can apply this to our modern day situations? God will come. So I believe John the Baptist got it. He got the message. He knows the Bible. And ah, he is. Thank you for that answer. That was a yes to John because he knew his Bible. That's what just happened. So if we're in that time of doubt or confusion, look to God's word. It is there for us. And then lastly, the people's praise. Verse nine, the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And they spread their cloaks out. What is that? Well, actually, it's kind of what they did. It's not what we would do in our culture, but it's what they did. It's kind of like their way to cast a vote. They're saying, yep, you're the king and I'm going to throw my cloak in your way so that you can walk on it to cast my vote or to, to show, yes, I believe that you're the king of Israel. We found it in Second Kings 9, 13. Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and they proclaimed Jesus is king. So it's just a cultural way of saying, here's the king. Here he comes. Yep, you're the king. That's how they did it. Psalm 118. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. That was prophesied that this moment would come, that everything that's happening, he comes in on the donkey and, and not just the cleansing the table, uh, the, the temple, uh, but also and the healing, but also the people's praise. They will say specific words. And that's a sign of your true inauguration. And that is exactly what has happened. The children, apparently, they know their Bibles or they were taught by the parents because they know exactly what psalm to sing as the king makes his entrance. Of course, the chief priests weren't real crazy about it. But Jesus' answer to them, he says, when the scribes saw the wonderful things that uh, he did, the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant and they said to him, you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise. So the Jewish rulers recognize, oh, my goodness. This this is the unfolding of Scripture. Jesus, you're, you're like pretending you're the king that was promised in Scripture. Do you realize these people think you're a king? Do you know what's going on here? And basically, he says, yep. I know exactly what's happening here because I am. King, I am allowing it. They wanted him to stop it. I would gladly receive their praise. I would gladly receive your praise and worship. They would not have anything to do with it. So there we have from the king himself. As we look into the Old Testament. 
And as we see ourselves, even in these historical acts, that he had us on his mind when he made this entrance as the king. The king came and the king, in essence, is still coming. The offer is still there. He's still establishing his reign and his rule, not just in our hearts, but everywhere. It's not just our God doesn't just own our hearts. He owns everything. His reign and rule will extend. There will be no stop or end to it. So he's still entering in a sense. There are still people throwing their cloaks in front of him as they recognize him. Ah, Jesus. Yes, you are the king. By God's grace, eyes are being opened. He is still saving in his gentle, humble way. He's still the king of Israel. He's the king of all nations. And we would do well this morning to bow before him. If we've never done that, to bow our hearts before him. And to forsake our sins in favor of his kingdom. And as we embrace this season of Easter that's all about Christ... We want to give this king more and more of our hearts. What's an area of your heart this morning where you know you've been holding out, stubborn you? Eh, I want to, but I'm not. It's a challenge. The gentle king said, I want to hear about it and I'll help you with it. To overcome. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and may he Bless the preaching of his word this morning. Amen.